You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Episode 31 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best role, tabletop role-playing game that you can. Whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game up to the next level. I am Sarah. I'm Rob. How you doing, Rob? I'm actually doing pretty good. We had a, a bit of a bit of a holiday break there. We did. We did. We we tricked everyone and uh, stacked up some recordings so we didn't have to be in the booth. So it felt weird not being here last week but it was nice it was nice it was nice uh nice to kind of take a break and yeah uh, that was a that was a nice episode last week uh that we had so no i thought it turned out really good yeah 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 i Uh, hope everybody enjoyed it as uh as much as uh we did honestly and and i hope everybody's holidays were uh were very nice uh those of you that uh celebrate uh, thanksgiving and stuff like that so um but we are back on our regular schedule and we are uh ready to talk about environmental storytelling yes and we're gonna throw some curveballs at some of you and uh about your thoughts on that i know we came across some stuff i uh i posted some stuff to Sarah and we went back and forth with where things were at, and I I honestly thought that at the begin at the onset of this that this was going to be uh, Sarah talking about Dark Souls for an hour. <laughs> I um, mean, it could have been. It could have been, and then literally I'm writing and I'm sending her these videos to watch, and she's like, I I thought I was going to write three pages. Rob, can 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 you can can you pause? <laughs> that, that was a matter of time, honestly. It was just that I was finishing up some stuff, and you had gotten to writing in the uh, the, the shared document like, yeah. about. A half hour before I had gotten there, yeah, and you had already put three, you know, three paragraph essays on there. I did. And, uh, I was like, well, I just read what you wrote, and you basically wrote what I was going to write. So that's true. That's true. I'm just going to sit back and let this happen. Thanks, man. Yeah, I mean, and it. <laughs> the good news is, is that whenever we do these things, we learn more, we yeah. explore more, yeah. we, we do a lot of oh yes, and and that helps. Mm-hmm. But it's things that we've we we wouldn't have thought to think about and yeah. to talk about that's and one of the I, things i like about the, doing this podcast is i i learn a lot you yeah know, and really it's i want to say it it's two hours of us talking but it's one hour of us talking beforehand at dinner going over our show notes yeah. and catching the little things and then an hour actually talking to people like they're in with us here mm-hmm. and like like we have a few listeners right now Knox, thank you for joining us and technology it's good to see you as well yeah. um always the hype we'll, we'll accept all of the hype um but uh, there were two videos that I um, I pulled down and shared mm-hmm. uh, with you um, that I felt were interesting. And what was funny was they came from a video game storytelling perspective. Um, but I think they're exceptionally relevant to all storytelling and specifically for trying to tell a story uh, in a game setting. Well, sure. Absolutely. Uh, because, I mean, one of the things that – uh, you know, video games and role playing games have in common is just the fact that they, they, I mean, there are environments in them yeah. that, that are there to be experienced and, and gone through. Now, typically your environments in video games are shown to you through the game's graphics. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in a tabletop game, it's all theater of the mind's eye. But one way or another, though, that's really the only separation. It really doesn't matter if you're playing a video game or a tabletop role playing game. Either way, you've got a place that your story is taking place. Right. And that, place is going to need to live and breathe and have stories that take place w- within it and about it. Sure, sure, sure. Either way. So uh, so let's I, – I think let's, you know, like we usually do, let's start kind of at a definition stage. Yeah. So when we're talking about environmental storytelling, what do we mean? So environmental storytelling is um, using the environment to tell a story uh, rather than – directly telling it okay uh it's kind of a middle ground between plot and world building world building is basically just saying this is a thing that exists right plot is like saying these are things that's happening environmental storytelling is a little bit like saying this is the thing that's happening to the things that exist Okay, I I I like where you're going with that description. Um, because it's hard to try and find that 
that gray space. Yeah, it's a, it's a little it's a little weird to pin down. So like a quick example of it, mm-hmm, and this mm-hmm. is this is a very cheap quick example. We'll, right, right. We'll obviously, we've got a whole podcast to go into detail about this later. Right, right. Um, but uh, would be instead of saying there was a firefight in this room, right? You might say you walk into the room and there is, you see that the door frame is splintered. There are bullet holes in the walls and the window is shattered. Yeah. Okay. Now you've got a room. Rooms are just rooms. Mm-hmm. But now this room has some character. An event has taken place here. And rather than just hand it to you and say this is what happened, right? I've handed you little evidentiary pieces and you, the player, now have kind of gone – well, bullet holes, splintered door, broken window, probably someone kicked down the door, shot some guns, and maybe it broke the window. Maybe a person busted through the window. I don't know. Right. But now that room has some flavor. There was an event that took place there, and you're kind of involved in in, in that story for having witnessed it. And you can kind of piece together that, that something happened here, you know? Right. And I think the the part that gets me about that is that in your direct example, you're talking about – an exposition of plot without really needing, you know, is it important? Is it an important detail for the plot purposes? Mm-hmm. Or is it that, you know, is it more a matter of, hey, you know, I and this is the way I looked at it was um I've got shadow runners, right? Sure. The, you know, they're just getting uh, they're on the run. Their vehicle broke down, so they're having to take shelter somewhere in the slums, mm-hmm. right? I can say like, oh, you know, you you pull over quickly and, you know, diagnose the tires completely flat and you don't have a spare. You're never going to be able to outrun, you know, the shadow tech corp that's coming after you. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you ditch into uh, a couple of the huts that are on the side of the road there, husks of buildings. You know, I could leave it at that stating that there's a couple windows that you could basically, uh, you know, broken out windows that you can sit behind uh, inside and get an idea of where they're at to start the firefight. Or I can say, you know, something to the effect of as you roll into what is left of this block riddled with bullet holes, burnt out buildings, boarded windows and cracked pavement, you find two doorways that are open into a – three-story apartment building that has been bombed out on the second floor and covered in police tape. As you make your way into the first floor, the broken pieces of a door remain barely on their hinges uh, as you smell foul scents reeking from a bathroom long since discarded. And already I'm sitting here listening to the description going, dude, what happened here, man? What what kind of neighborhood did we break down in? And then that's the thing is is that you're giving – you're giving an exposition of the space that they're about to do combat in mm-hmm. that doesn't – it doesn't need to have a relevance. So yeah, you could just as easily say here's your models and you're, you're behind these walls. Great. It's wonderful. You know, sure, sure. Start, start your firefight initiative begins. But giving them the flavor of the space allows them room to role play within that mm-hmm. space. You know, and when the cops come up and, you know, roll into that space, it gives them an idea of that these clean, shiny corporate police roll on the scene in their, you know, crimson armor and full face mask blast shields, you know, reporting out with, you know, Ares predators gleaming as if they were just printed off of a Fabtech system. Those are big guns for people who don't play Shadowrun. You know, leveling them across their hover, uh, their hover, uh, you know, skid, uh, while spotlights light up and accentuate the darkness and chaos that lingers in just beyond your vision inside, Mm -hmm. you know, where flies linger over spouts and and what might be food that some scavenger had stashed in the corner, you know, where there used to be a cabinet. Right. You know. So I I think the the, the important thing is that environmental storytelling is going to add a sense of a living world. Yes. I mean all that all that description is what what that's doing for you is making it you, you can you can just say bombed out building. Yeah, or you can go in and make that place really feel like it's just the worst place you could have possibly rolled up in. Exactly. Um, it's, I mean, it's a bit a bit in the description. You know, I mean, it's definitely about setting mood, but it's more than that, though. Yeah, it's about kind of giving a place a living history. Yeah, you know, I think I think the breakdown can sometimes happen, and I'm only going to go briefly onto this with 
uh, where environmental storytelling breaks down mm-hmm. is when it's too simplistic. And I'll, I'll, well, or, then it's not telling a story. It's correct. just showing you a picture, and that's not exactly. A story. And yeah. that's the whole like you come across a gazebo. We all know the story. Right, but the, yeah, but they they don't, and that I think is the quintessential moment of failure. Is that in the mind's eye theater, we all have to have a vision, mm-hmm. a common level vision of what the description is. Where are we? Mm-hmm. So, the, and the storyteller helps paint that place. Mm-hmm. In some stories, it's a it's a group thing where everybody's throwing objects in, you know, or set, giving the flavor and the setting. But you need to have that palette, that background, that edge, and I think. That when you give a proper description, you give everyone that relief of knowing where they are Mm -hmm. and allowing them to extrapolate just a little bit further in their own mind's eye of how terrible or how amazing or how tragic the space is. Sure. So that they can get their into their character's mind, into the character's feelings, and know how they're going to react in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's you know horrific or wonderful, you know. Um, and I think that's really where you need to get yourself to. And there's some definite things that we've learned just recently, and stuff we've known that help get you there. Right. Right. Um. So, the sense of having like. A living world, a living, breathing world mm-hmm. um, means that when you put something in it that has meaning, when you expose it, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's through exposition, you know, or whether it's through player discovery, that piece has to have a living, breathing part in the world. Sure. Sure. Um, it's the reason why we write down player, you know, you know, I, I ask the bartender his name and you go, shit. Now I have to create something around this goddamn bartender. <laughs> well, because yeah, because he's got a name, you know, he's a person, you know. But but you take that out even to to a, a much bigger thing. Like, okay, think of think of the one of the bigger D and D tropes out there, the right. dungeon. Yeah, you know, honestly, since the beginning of time, have bugged the living crap out of me. Right, right. As they're typically written. You know, um, we we always have these these dungeons that are just these subterranean mazes filled with like deadly traps and oh, yeah. monsters and treasure. Yeah. Why? Oh yeah. Why? Who put this here? Who put this here? Yeah. Who literally digs and like I've seen these mazes, like these mm-hmm. elaborately crafted mazes. Like, who does that? Mm-hmm. What possible function does that serve? Mm-hmm. Like, other than just to torment people? Right. I mean, like, if I told you, like, hey, I bought this place. It's like the size of the Mall of America, mm-hmm. and I turned it into a maze and filled it with monsters. And on the other side, I put all my worldly belongings. Huh? You'd look at me like a crazy person. You'd be like, first off, how much did that cost you? How right. much time did that take? And second off, you literally filled it with monsters and traps. Okay, right. why? Who's going to feed them? Right. What, what monsters? Right. Where did you even get them? Yeah. And third off, you just did this so that you could make an elaborate bank vault. So, so I'm gonna vault? I'm gonna blow your mind on somebody. Somebody taught me this a long time ago, and that is, is most wizards are insane. Uh huh. Right. So they're not good at architecture. Uh, right. They really suck at it. But so, what do you do when you run out of space? You make more space. Okay. Right. For whatever you're doing. You don't necessarily think about it attaching to the previous state space. You just think of like, well, I need another 600 feet because I'm about to do this experiment with a wyvern, right? I got to I got to raise a couple of creatures. I've got to maybe I, I need a I need a summoning circle over here and pro- I need water shoot. I got to where am I going to get water? Crap. I, oh, I need a lot of water. Okay. You're a wizard summon some. Exactly. But when you're when you're lazy, because you don't want to have to summon the water and rebuild – rechalk the summoning circle. And then somewhere around around room 17, you realize, did I leave something running? Is is the oven on? Crap. You know what? Let's just leave this. I'm going to I'm gonna start anew on the next level up. I'm going I'm to try over like because whatever happened there. I mean maybe. Maybe. I just I, – I, I don't buy it running all the time. But anyways, it, look, no. this, is a, this is a really long-winded way, way of saying typically your normal like tropey dungeons mm-hmm. are horrible abominations that make no sense whatsoever, OK? What was this place purpose? Why was it constructed? Why was it – why did they fill it with traps? How did the monsters get here? And more – I think most importantly too, and this is one of the ones I've never really seen adequately answered in a lot of like dungeon modules. Right. 
why is the party the first group of raiders to ever delve into this dungeon? Okay. And I ask you that simply because, of course, all the traps are there. Of course, all the treasures are there. Mm -hmm. I remember a long time ago, I answered that exact question. I wrote a dungeon that was like four levels deep. Mm Mm-hmm. That was an ancient crypt sure. from a subs, uh, from a civilization that was long past. Sure. An earthquake turned up the, the entranceway to it. Right. And so it was long forgotten. Right. Was, half of it was flooded because it was just filled with a subterranean river that looked like the right. wall had broken down and stuff like that. The first two levels of it were mm-hmm. picked clean. Oh, makes sense. Utterly picked clean. Sure. And there was a cleric of a thief god mm-hmm. that was dead charred corpse sitting in front of one of the treasure chests yep and all the rest of the treasure in the dungeon was still there oh nice nice so the guy got that far and he had a bunch of treasure on him because he'd picked the clean all the stuff from the previous two levels no that makes total sense Mm -hmm. that makes total sense (laughs) yeah Uh, the other one that uh that comes to mind and actually was uh uh, from one of our listeners Mm -hmm. the winchester house are you familiar with that uh, I'm or the story I, of it? I, I know the name uh, and I know there, there's a story there. So Winchester Firearms? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they went kind of crazy in building their house. Oh, is this the weird just, murder house? Yeah, yeah. Well, basically there were there were there was a curse that they believed in and so there are stairs that lead nowhere. Like there are doors who it, that like started making weird additions to the house that just were really like, eh, I think it was the original people did that. Okay, okay, okay. So okay. It, but literally the house is maddening. Yeah. So there's always that. But that's not everyone, and that's not everywhere. Exactly. But we're getting really away from topic right. here. So. But what I'm what I'm saying though, okay. So so like you go into this dungeon, yeah. Okay, and uh, you. So this is this is an example of you know of of I, I think what I'm talking about with the environmental storytelling with regards to dungeons is like so you go into this dungeon, sure. Okay, you see that it is clearly marked as a family crypt. Right. Okay. So now it's got a purpose. Sure. It's got a place in your world. You already right. know what the story behind this dungeon is. Right. Okay. Um, you see that there are some crypts that are now opened mm-hmm. and they're picked clean of belongings. Maybe the, the, the insides of the, the bodies have been tossed a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. they're out of sorts. Bones uh, outside clothing. Yeah. The dust has been, you know, things like that. Things are torn. Bones are separated from the body. Where the crypts are chipped at, yeah. at places. Yeah. Exactly. You continue down the dungeon. Okay. Now already you're like, oh, a raider has been in this. Or you, multiple you've established some background. Now you've got a story that's unfolding, mm-hmm. you know, uh, about this place. Okay. You see traps that are that have been triggered. Like a treasure chest is open and there is a scorch mark in front of it. Mm-hmm. But the treasure chest is empty. Mm-hmm. What does that tell you? Okay. I'm not telling you as the storyteller that someone triggered a trap here. Right. But you've got open, empty treasure chest and scorch mark. Mm-hmm. Okay. Maybe some traps were set off here. You know, mm-hmm. you walk into a room and you see a snapped bit of wire dangling from about ankle height from the wall. On the opposite wall, there are three darts that are embedded in the wooden war- wooden door frame. Mm-hmm. There's a bit of a bit more flavor mm-hmm. for you. Somewhere else's trap. Tra- yep. Trigger tra- 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 traps. Now you get a little bit further down. You find three treasure chests. One is open. The second is open with a charred corpse sitting in front of it. Right. The third is closed. Right. <laughs> there you go. You've got the the end of your story, all entirely told through the environment. Right. But you know exactly what's happened to this crypt up until this point. Right. You know? And you've you've opened some other things in that. Yeah. In 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 stating you've given some examples of. Uh, of how the environment reacts mm-hmm. as well. You clearly have shown traps. You've shown some of the, the advancements of those traps. You've shown what they can do. So the player already knows that there's a good chance that that third one is trapped, mm-hmm. probably with a fire spell of some kind, mm-hmm. and that it is relatively challenging to take care of it if you take care of it at all. Mm-hmm. You know, Um so you've got those elements for the player that are all in the obvious spectrum of things that we see when we're talking about stories. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of other little things that sit under the layers that you and I do that we don't recognize we do um, that I think were really well um, described in some of the stuff. Sure. Um, uh, Eric Bale uh, is a uh, game designer. Um, he worked on Fear. He worked on Prey, Lost Planet, mm-hmm. um, and he kind of had this 
iceberg view. And that's the new version of Prey, by the way, by, by yes, Bethesda. Yes, correct, correct. Published by Bethesda. Publ- published. And he kind of had this iceberg view where you see s- certain things above that are just kind of necessary. If you don't at least have these minimums, realistically, players aren't going to know what's going on in the scene. And that sure. is you have to have identity, which you talked about. What, mm-hmm. what was the space used for? So when a player walks into a space, they need to – without – you know, with this exposition, they should know what the space is. It a kitchen? Is it a library? Is it a crypt? Is it a cistern? It, yeah. Is it, what, <laughs> what's a cistern? It's a, what's a cistern? Exactly. You know, <laughs> it needs to have background, so we need to know its current use. Maybe a little bit of history. Mm-hmm. You know, how does it attach to the history of the world in general? Is it is it connected in some way? You know, so in the sense of your story, you know, we we know it's a crypt. We know people had been here before. Mm-hmm. We we may know a little bit about. Who the crypt is for? Is it Elvin or whatever? You know, you need to then have to support the objectives of the players themselves. You know, are there things for them to do in that space? Mm-hmm. What are those objectives? Are they examining things? Are they reading glyphs? Are they fighting something that's going to come out of those? You know, you need to be able to support that in the exposition. Mm-hmm. The Sometimes you need to explain the gameplay. You know, maybe – you need to include the fact that there are traps. Like you said, there were trigger traps that were through. You're expressing what they're going to have to do as they move through the space, mm-hmm. why they're getting through the space. And then you have to explain what happened there. What changes take place? Was there a fire? Was there an earthquake? Was there a battle? You know, Did somebody pick it clean or did something come through and clean it up? Already, mm-hmm. you know, and is that something still there, like a gelatinous ooze or something that's going around, literally picking the place clean? Mm-hmm. You know, those are the kinds of things that you need to do. But below that is really where excellent storytelling comes in when it comes to environment, and that is uncovering a mystery is another aspect of that. Mm-hmm. Who did this? How long ago? When? And throughout your rooms, you're going to give more of that flavor. Yep. You might in one room have you know, certain hieroglyphs and in reading those, you pick up that this is a, you know, a tomb of Talos mm-hmm. devoted to his devoted followers. But that first layer is for – seems like for peasantry, maybe some servants. You know? mm-hmm. And then as you move in, you find out that they were servants who were serving priests who are in the next layer. But there are doors beyond those priests and you learn from the priest manuscripts, the pieces that are still there that were tossed to the side by thieves because they're meaningless to them, that maybe they were not just worshipping Talos but trying to resurrect one of his oldest disciples mm-hmm. for some great meaning. So now you're starting to uncover this mystery that is beyond necessarily the plot. It's a side piece to the plot that players can think about. But it's not the driving force of I have to go get the scepter, whatever. Right. You know, the second is is uh, underneath that is using certain choices, continuing a theme of light or darkness, the the way dust comes down from the ceiling. You mm-hmm. know, denoting that there's movement maybe in the earth or the shift of the winds that howls through the canyon. Or like I did you guys in our last dungeon, the absence Correct. of dust. And Correct. You know, suddenly there aren't roots hanging from the ceiling. Right. In fact, you don't see anything organic in here at all. Exactly. And going back to the firefight, uh, making it dungy, mm-hmm. you know, you know, dingy and terrible and a horrific kind of feeling that you're in literally the slums. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to be here because it is not a safe place to be, let alone be in a firefight, yep. you know, um, reinforcing that gameplay. Okay, seeing the used traps, elements of escape that maybe someone else used, Um, you know, uh, having the features also affect uh, things that are to come. You know, you might have a glyph, you know, that shows uh, some of the traps that are actually in here killing people in a very obscure way. Mm -hmm. You know, a beam of life cutting through something's head. You know, and, yeah. and and obviously showing in the next glyph him on the ground and blood coming out. And you're like, whoa, what does that mean? You know, you have I mean, in some straight up, you can do signage. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm going to be raiding, you know, Renraku's, uh, you know, out, outside of Renraku's arcology, I might come across signage that literally depicts like where the elevators are. R&D and, department. Exactly. Follow the red line. You know, you know or, like, or warnings like 
all you know all personnel must go through UV clearance before entering the clean zone. Mm-hmm. Any any bacteria dete- any foreign bacteria detected will be destroyed. And you're like, okay, well now I know what's going to happen in that room. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you then move into something like personal touches, little things that you know explain the life of the npcs like if you know you're going to someone's cottage because you know the farmer just told you that ghosts have inhabited his cottage you're going to find relics of him there mm-hmm. pictures of his wife you know maybe his trusty you know uh his gun still sitting in the corner cuz he ran out you know uh but it's unloaded and there's a box of ammo scattered across the uh the top of the table a a wood carving knife and 15 no 16 if you count the unfinished one carved penguins yeah sitting up on a shelf exactly you know and then maybe little later on and as you're moving through this house you find his a picture of him and his wife mm-hmm. sitting on a frozen tundra with tons of little penguins around them and yeah. it's a memory that he's recreating exactly. you know over and over again um and then you know you have your like what i like to call the you know the homage the easter eggs things that are details that your players appreciate not necessarily sure. the characters but your players appreciate yeah, yeah. you know funny names little fan service you know things. you know things from previous games uh, you know a lot of people do this i know critical role did it with the dogs mm. uh, in the one thing that you that i was watching where one of the names of the dogs was a previous character yeah <laughs> you know and everybody just loved that you know i've done that totally i've carried over characters whole npcs from other games and mm-hmm. slapped them in padre Inguis. exactly yes. exactly so those kinds of things help make the world way more complete yep. just through environment they're not necessarily plot devices they're bringing everything together to make it feel real i uh i, I earlier in our discussions mentioned uh something that I, again i was doing in my game uh with uh the fighters guild and the mages guild yeah where i've got almost a little romantic subplot going on yeah, uh, you know, I, I I've got uh, admittedly I've got uh, a player or two who do really love to interact with NPCs heavily mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So, yeah. um, I, I wanted to throw these elements in there, obviously, because it's a, I know it's a it's a it's an element of gameplay that they enjoy, right? But also, it gave me a reason to kind of think about like, well, there are you know, you guys aren't the sole people of the Fighters Guild and Mages Guild, you know, no, you belong to organizations, and those organizations have people, yeah. In them. So let me make like four other people that are notable, you know, and just, mm-hmm. just basically say like, yeah, there are, there are more, but they're, you know, these are the people you see on a daily basis, you know, so I don't have to make hundreds of NPCs just to fill this gap, you know. Right. Um, but what are their likes? What are their dislikes? You know, things like that. And I think those sort of NPC background characters make things a lot more. When you can just interact and be like, you know, hey, what bad joke is Lyra telling when I walk into the mess hall? Right. You know, is Cassia rolling her eyes or is she laughing at her sister's antics this time? You know? Right, right. Is, how drunk is Balgruff? Yeah. When we walk in there, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, what, what has, uh, what has uh, uh, Mirabelle broken lately? Exactly. You know, because exactly. she's clumsy, you know? And, and when she comes in crying, it has meaning. Like, yeah. we're like, oh, crap, that's right. We fi- She finally found out that she's that she's actually not in a relationship yeah. oh no this is oh, bad Tulsi only likes her as a friend yeah oh. yeah she got friend zoned hard you yeah. know you know and and that's again nothing to do with plot but it has everything to do with feeling captured by the story yeah and yeah. that's that's the beauty of getting below those layers below mm-hmm. the requirements um and I think you can go beyond that. You can you can step a little bit further than that. And I think when we were talking, when you talk about uh, Dark Souls mm-hmm. and just how much of the world there is, there's a lot of that that happens in environmental storytelling. Well, shit, almost everything happens in environmental storytelling. Well, it has it, to. It almost never tells you anything, right? And and Dark Souls, playing the Dark Souls series, is where I learned. Most of what I know about environmental storytelling, you know? right? There are whole plot arcs that take place. In the background while you're watching, but right. like they just they just kind of happen, you know. They have nothing to do with the main plot, but like you free, you know. Sp- spoiler alert for Dark Souls One, um, you know, you free uh, Knight Lautrec from his imprisonment, right? Okay, and he's just this dude in gold armor. He doesn't tell you anything about himself. He's like, hey, can you help a, uh, help a brother out? And you're like, yeah, sure, man. I found a key. Cool. Mm-hmm. Nobody should be locked up in some dingy corner of a dungeon. Yeah, for eternity. 
And he's like, ha, 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 now my dark work can – or now my work can continue. And you're like, that's ominous. Yeah. And he I hope just, that doesn't bite me in the ass. <laughs> right. And he just walks off. Now you get back to Firelink Shrine, which is kind of your home base in the right, game. Right, right. And uh, you see him just chilling out in the corner. He's just sitting there minding his own business. He looks pretty relaxed. You mm-hmm. talk to him. He says some pretty innocuous stuff of like, oh, yeah, hey, thanks for letting me out of there. That, you know, really, really doing me a favor, paying me a solid. Cool. Thanks. And you're like, okay, yeah, no problem. Still a little creepy, but okay. Whatever. What What are you doing? Nothing. You're just sitting there. What you might notice is that he's sitting right across the, 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 the way from the firekeeper. In fact, he's staring directly at her, the person who tends the bonfire, mm-hmm. the big important thing mm-hmm. that makes Firelink Shrine important. No, he doesn't do anything, doesn't say anything innocuous, does not say, I'm going to kill the firekeeper. Nope. But you might notice he's staring at her. You might mm-hmm. draw some conclusions from that. You might not. Right, right. You go about your business. You come back a bit later after some other events unfold and the fire is out. The bonfire, the big important thing that Firelink Shrine is supposed to be, is gone. Now suddenly you're home away from home. Your main base is essentially shut off to you. The doors of the tavern are locked when you come home. And and I'm going to get back to that, but keep going. Um. And you go – you're like, what the heck is even happening? And you right. start panicking and you start looking around like uh, there's got to be something I can do about this. So you go down to where the firekeeper is and you find her corpse. From her corpse, you can take her soul. Or no, no, I'm sorry. Her soul is not there. You can take her outfit. Right. OK. And there's some stuff you can glean from her outfit that, that tells a little bit more about her her function. Right. And Lautrec is gone. Hmm. Lautrec's missing, Firekeeper's dead, Firelink is out. You start putting two and two together and you're like, Lautrec killed the Firekeeper. Why did Lautrec kill the Firekeeper? Now suddenly you've got this whole story unfolding. And what – no, what realistically has happened? OK. We know Lautrec has killed the Firekeeper, but how do we know this? Just because he's not there and she's dead. He's not there. She's dead. And there's and nobody was, else there. And a minute ago he was staring at her. Yeah. yeah. That's – environmental storytelling i completely agree i have with done you. nothing other than remove two npcs from the scene and cause a consequence because of them nice nice and, and again we're not ignoring you guys we're just getting through some points here yeah. but yes exactly it's it's setting a stage moving pieces and that again don't have anything to do with the the active dialogue but or the plot but you're still telling that story of those people you know um and moving through those moments. Uh, and yeah, totally spoilers. Yeah, we should have said that. Um, I did. I did. Yeah. I yep. did say spoilers for DS1. That is true. That is true. If you if you haven't, then then you got that. Um, we're not going to ignore you, Knox. <laughs> I, I, I agree. You, you, I, I'm not completely ignoring you because I'm, I'm looking at some of your stuff and it, it is pertinent to the conversation. Uh, but one of the things that I was going to say about the fire is that that is another thing that um, – uh, didn't get addressed in Eric's speech, um, but Annie Tool went over, and that was changing the player's normal. Now, Annie Tool is another game designer. Uh, yeah. I worked on uh, Halo, uh, Assassin's Creed. Um, she and... did the uh, Halo Lone Wolf uh, uh, novella. Like the, yep. it's a it's a comic. Yep. It's a, uh, which is beautiful. Uh, sorry, sorry, Overwatch. Um, but one of the things that I really liked about that she described uh, when reviewing. Um, Dark Souls was she talked about using the removal of norm. Mm-hmm. You know, your players have been coming back to the same inn or the same keep, you know, or the same place multiple times. They've gotten used to it. You know, it's it's when your Shadowrun players go, you know, return back to the Johnson and they find the bar full of bullet holes and the dead Johnson in the back with a bullet in his head. Mm-hmm. Something just changed. Yep. You know, number one, they may not be getting paid. <laughs> And number two, there's a problem. What? A shadow run went sideways? Rob. Exactly. Exactly. Rob. Like this is where things change in plot. But again, the environment is what's really changing there. Yeah. You know, you could say that the Johnson's dead, but to say that the whole bar gets wiped, mm-hmm. the barkeep that you know, the dancer, the trid dancer in the corner, you know, maybe, you know, the the DJ, um, the kid you met on the back porch who, you know, bums food and cigarettes, you know, they're all dead, like dead, dead. 
murdered by not like a go gang, but like precision kind of hit. Yeah. You know, there's telltale markings of a flashbang going off and the remnants of its canister splattered in multiple places mm-hmm. within the spot. You can see literally the burn marks from laser rounds that went off and pierced walls and bounced off mirrored edges. But the important part is, is that you've taken something that has become a staple in their environment. Right. And you've changed it. Yep. Because because the world moves. Yeah. It it's the, gonna keep going. Like like that place won't always be there because your player characters are find it important. Exactly. You know. Exactly. And I liked the way that she kind of addressed that. Mm-hmm. And I think Dark Souls does a good job of it. And I think it's something that is uncommon and it's usually a plot device that changes things. But you're not you know, you expect it within the plot device. To do those things like, oh, I'm talking to this guy, but clearly, you know, the princess is going to get taken. Well, that's normal, normal thought, but you're not talking about what's going to happen to him or his guards mm-hmm. or the space that they exist in when she gets taken. Yeah. You know, that's that's something serious. It's to say like, oh, yes, you you return to the cap, you know, to the to the castle, you know, with the red dragon's claw. But now the princess is missing. You know, and the captain of the guard comes to you. That that's great. That's simple exposition. But to de- detail that the castle is in ruins. Mm-hmm. You know, men are scattered about, broken and bloody. Some dead on stretchers. Women crying over them. These oh, yeah. guards who have guarded the king's castle for their entire lives. You know, priests praying over their their broken mm-hmm. remains. Everything everything changes its environment when when it takes place. Like, yeah. uh, think uh, think to um, you know the spies when you guys were in Kavach. Oh yeah. Totally. Everybody you interacted with was paranoid. Yeah. Because they didn't know who you were. Mm-hmm. And they didn't want to speak to you out in the open where anyone could be listening. Exactly. You know? And they they double checked your credentials. And, yeah. you know, just simply because they knew that there were spies in the town and mm-hmm. the spy the walls had ears all of a sudden. You know. Yep. But that that changed the environment of the entire town yeah. that was in there. And I think that brings us to the other thing that she was talking about, which is the visual cues. Now, mm-hmm. we think about it in the sense of the static pieces, the walls, the doors, you know, maybe the the, the attire of, of some of the shadows of things when I say mm-hmm. like the outer NPCs and, and the general feel of the space. But we don't necessarily think about it when we're talking even in like encounter combat. Mm-hmm. And where we're talking about a skeleton or we're talking about, you know, a lich or we're talking about something like that, we're not describing them necessarily. You say the three degree. zombies shamble out at you. Right. But what are those zombies wearing? Those zombies used to be people. Yeah. And, and again, she was diagnosing Dark Souls mm-hmm. and specifically talking about the dragons, that the dragons used to be gods of this world. They were the only freaking things there, immortal, eternal, yep. living in this gray space. Mm-hmm. And then the darkness rose, humanity. And the light came, other gods. And there was a clash between light and dark. And the, these unbelievable creatures that were there as immortal beings and they fell. Mm-hmm. And when you come across them, they are decrepit. They are barely hanging on. They are trying to nobly stand. And what she said was one of the artists who was working on it, one of his first depictions was like a maggot ridden, uh, you know, flesh falling off of it, kind of undead. And the lead director on it artistic director was just like how could you possibly do that to a god mm-hmm. they they would the you're showing them in 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 a grotesque way these are noble creatures that have fallen that have barely been able to hold on to themselves they are saddened depressed lost in this world so make them give them that noble chance and so now when these creatures are there Mm -hmm. they're trying to stand on their own literally Mm -hmm. like when they're there and they're being ominous or they're being heavy you can see the tears just behind the veil of their wings you know that they're they're holding to themselves that they're clamoring tightly to things like old men you know trying to rigorously stand up against the evil and you can see that strength still trying to push out in them. And if you go down to Ash Lake, you actually find uh, – and she makes mention of this in, yeah. the, in, the, in the video. Uh, if you go down to Ash Lake, you actually find a, a living one yeah. that is not undead or decrepit. It right. is tall glorious. and majestic and glorious. And I think the thing that I noticed the most about it – and this is, again, a great little aspect of environmental storytelling – is that it 
doesn't interact with you. No. You can pledge fealty to it. It is literally the 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 um way that you join the 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 dragon faction in the right. game. Um but uh it never speaks to you. No. Like you don't have a conversation. Like you literally just kneel before it and say, I'm gonna be one of your dragons now, you know, and I'm gonna I'm gonna do things for you. And it just stands there imperiously. You can actually cut the thing's tail off and it doesn't even notice. You get there's a specific weapon you get from trying right. its tail off. But uh, like you're beneath its notice. You're so small to it. Mm-hmm. You're like the you are like the buzzing of flies to him. Exactly. He's Vigo. <laughs> He's Vigo. You know. So it's it, and I, I think you know some some people might say, well, you know, the fact that he doesn't interact with you just makes him a set piece. But I think the fact that he doesn't interact with you makes him a majestic god. But it also is how you depict that. Yeah. How 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 you depict his ambivalence. Right. You know. And I think that's that shows a lot. And I think there's like it would make your players go uh, doing an insight check. You know what? What is he thinking? He's he not thinking about you at all. You're you're a fly in the room. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it kind of goes back to the dragons. You know, coming into a dragon horde as like a fifth level character. Mm-hmm. You know, like one of the dragons is like, oh god, there's cockroaches oh, there's, there's in the an kitchen. Adventure in here. Oh, put him out to kill him. Kill him. No, no, no. He's probably as scared as we are. Just put him outside. Mm-hmm. Like you know, you know, scoops him onto a little plate and brings him outside. Right. Oh, like, oh, you're stabbing little... me. That's adorable. Oh, he's stabbing me. It's cute. <laughs> you know, and I think th- I think that's a thing about depth and and thing. Yeah, you, you are god among ants. Yeah, exactly, yes, exactly. You know, and. Uh, the last thing that she kind of talks about is uh, that they do well in the story is using items to express history mm-hmm. that you don't necessarily – you know, you might have players who are coming on the scene who have knowledge, who have some arcana or have some like root knowledge of items. Mm-hmm. But you don't have to give them everything when you hand them a sword that was carried by a certain person. But you can say, oh, that's you know Lord Relic's. A great sword. He carried it in the Battle of Amatosh mm-hmm. and struck uh, and took down the captain with it. Um, you know, in this battle, you don't have to say what the Battle of Amatosh is, or even who the Lord was, or mm-hmm. if he was a great man or a bad man. But you've just explained history to them. Sure. You've given them a piece of it, and later on down the line, you might learn that that guy was an asshole, you know, and actually murdered people and was kind of like, you know, Count Vlad, you know, where mm-hmm. he just impaled people, you know, murderously. But, you know, some of the stories kind of glorified him a little bit because he did it in the name of his local people. He took care of them, mm-hmm. you know, whereas everyone else considered him a tyrant and a horrible person. The locals were like, no, he's a god. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, we love him. Yeah. You know, and that's – you can tell that through – Stories, <laughs> stories of Ermagerd. <laughs> the Battle nice, of Ermagerd. Nice. I'm totally going to use that. <laughs> I'm totally going to use that. But uh, there, there, you, there's your Easter egg that you're going to get, Knox. Um, so, but that's the thing about items in that game is that it gives little flavors of history that then tie to other environmental flavors. And I think that is a beautiful thing that Dark Souls does and some games do exceptionally well. Yeah, sure. You know, um, but it is something that is often forgotten in role playing because it's in the storyteller's mind's eye but not necessarily the players. They don't feel the same thing. So uh, something I did to address that in in game um, was – and I know I'm talking a lot about my game tonight. I'm sorry, but uh, it's it's, it's examples I have off the top of my head. Yes. Um, uh, Is – so, okay, we went into a dungeon. Yeah. Again, that I had to come up with a purpose for, et cetera. Yep. There were monsters there. There were goblins that had moved in because it's a ready and willing open shelter to yeah. them, you know? No, it makes sense. Um, so uh, some other adventurers had gone in there because I was trying to find a way to put treasure in this dungeon. Mm-hmm. But like why would there still be treasure in the dungeon? It's a pretty common – After a thousand years. After yeah. a thousand years, it's pretty much just off the beaten path anyways. It's a pretty yeah. commonly like – Like a bunch know, of kids have probably been in there a few times. Exactly. You know? I'm surprised not spray paint on the wall. Yeah, exactly. Had they spray paint, it would probably be on the wall. Yeah, and in yeah. fact, there, there actually was some vandalism. You guys just didn't go in that part of the, the not surprised. particular place. Yeah. Yep. Um, but uh, uh, so I was thinking how do I how do I get treasure in this dungeon? And I thought, well – it's not terribly uncommon for adventurers to come in here, especially like hunting goblins and such like that. What about dead adventurers? Dead adventurers are chock full of treasure, right? Right. So um, in a couple different rooms, mm-hmm. I had an adventuring party. There was a four-person adventuring party that I yep. cooked up, yep. gave them stuff, 
and then killed them randomly yep. throughout the dungeon. Yep. And that was a little bit of environmental storytelling there yep. where I – you know, you you found two of them in one room. Mm-hmm. One had fled into another room and she died with arrows in her back. Um, And uh, there was a short sword. There was a plus one short sword. Yeah. And so uh, this particular person was a wood elf, a, yep. a bosmer in, in, in the setting. Yep. Um, and – uh, so I put the plus one short sword on there and when asked what the short sword looked like, I then, you know, well, it was on the body of a wood elf. Yeah. So I described the wood elf aesthetic. Right. And wood elves um, have a prohibition when we're in the land of Valenwood where they come from, from uh, clipping anything basically off of the plants or anything like that. Right. Like they cannot fell trees. They cannot use the living wood right. as anything. It has so to be given consequently, or fall. all of their – well, consequently, all of their stuff is bone and leather and you know stuff right. like that it's all animal, animal made yeah so i described the short sword with a you know a little bone handle to it mm-hmm. with leather wrappings on it mm-hmm. and you know markings in bosmeri language basically saying that it's a you know some sort of a family heirloom right know? but now suddenly this this plus one short sword mm-hmm. has a history mm-hmm. it had an owner yeah because you plucked it off of her body yep that was filled with arrows, so yep. you know how she died. Oh, yeah. She was in there with with three other adventurers, so you kind of know what she was all about. Yep. And, like, when I – I expected you guys to kind of just pick it up, like, oh, hey, it's a plus one short sword. Who can use that? The rogue. Cool. Congratulations. Right. But what I wasn't expecting is that this got you guys. Mm-hmm. Like, you it, – it, it, it hooked you. And mm-hmm. now, suddenly, we were asking questions about the history of this blade. But the history of person who was wielding it, is there a next of kin we should be, you know, returning it to in town, mm-hmm. you know? And it just became so much more than a treasure to you. Right. And and that, I think, is really where, where we're going with this. So. All right. <laughs> Technology. <laughs> Technology says, sorry, y'all. I meant to listen live, but I was making cookies and things got out of hand. Things got out of hand making cookies. That's... Man, you are – get down. Get down with your bad All self. All right. Just, that's it. just go off. We're going to questions. This is now a, po- a cookie podcast. Yep. Sorry. So I, I think I think we murdered it well. I yeah. will I will leave the links up to the two videos as well as some of the stuff that we found. So you guys can have that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, but let's move on to some questions because I think some of these questions are really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got about fifteen minutes left. Left. Let's, uh, let's yep. hit this. The only thing we're going to skip is Mad Elf. I'll get to him at the end. So, all right. All right. So Overwatch asks: uh, Movies and TV shows seem to be the one of the most direct examples of environmental storytelling. I agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, using set cinematography in place of things like voiceovers and exposition. What is what's a recent movie or TV show that really had the environmental storyteller down storytelling down for you, and how could you translate something like that uh, to the tabletop? Uh, that is a solid question that I did not think long enough about before the show. I'm dead honest; I'm I'm coming up completely blank on this. Um, one. I liked. Um, I will have to say, for as much as I liked uh, Firefly, and I will say that's recent. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there were elements about its environmental storytelling that I thought were really great uh, and at the same time kind of terrible. But when they showed up somewhere, you you could feel out the people that were there. Mm-hmm. You knew how bad it was or how good it was. In most cases, it was how bad it was mm-hmm. uh, and the general direction and feel where things were going. And um, I think a lot of the elements of that were like uh, there was one episode where they went basically to a whorehouse Mm -hmm. and had to deal with what was going on there. And you could tell that it was different than every other place that they had been that was of that that was of that type, that it was run down, that it was on a tiny world, that it was doing the best that it could. But that there was something else going on there, a community and that they were willing to do more to protect themselves. And you could see it in the way that they interacted with each other, these other characters who you didn't know anything about. Yes. But you felt stories. You 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 learned about why and what was going on. You There was a pregnancy. You quickly discovered who was faithful and who wasn't in the group. And all of that was done through environmental pieces. And I thought that that was really well done. So I think a lot of that that translates to tabletop is – giving lives to your npcs you know if a character is is pregnant when are they are they happy about that Mm -hmm. is this something that they're going to keep is this something that that is is tragic is this something that is un that that is unbelievable and i think those kinds of pieces can really make 
or break a story. Most recently, The Mandalorian, which I will not get into high detail because you have not seen it yet, um, has some beautiful set pieces yeah, yeah. that they're pulling from way back, you know, uh, from original Star Wars movies, the first three. I'm not talking about one, two, and three. Um, Behave, heatsink. Yeah. And those pieces that come into it are things that the fans know. It's giving them service, but at the same time, it's reminding us their importance in the universe as a whole. And those – the timeline is vastly different at this point. We are mm-hmm. in the future effectively. Um from those times, but you're still seeing things and you know what they are. Yeah. They yeah. have relevance. They have meaning. Uh, the first uh, – one of the first scenes – and this isn't giving much away because it's in the trailers um, uh, of the show. The Mandalorian is walking into something and the moment that he walks past a certain door, there are elements that are directly in front of you that says that this is Imperial. And mm-hmm. it's the first time you see it and you know that they've they've reiterated that the Imperials aren't there and that's clear like around. You look around, there's nothing Imperial, right? Uh-huh. You know, where you'd think there would be a presence. And just from the door panels and the droid and certain environmental pieces, it's instantaneously obvious that there's there's Imperials there and now there's a sense of danger that is beyond what this character was expecting. Mm-hmm. And I think that right there added so much environment to the scene. Like if I if I had a bunch of players and I was running a Star Wars game that was put in the same world mm-hmm. and I said, OK, once you get past the main door and the islet lets you in, a droid is waiting for you. Uh, it's black body and, and rough legs uh, start leading you down a small corridor. At the far end of the corridor is a level three blast door with a primer pad lit with blue and red LEDs. And immediately you're, they're all like, whoa, whoa, uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> oh, OK. <laughs> yeah. You know? And that's the thing is that you're setting that moment. Yeah, yeah. And the dread is there. The darkness was there. The, the, the type of walls that were showing, the panels that were on them, you're like, this is clearly imperial. Mm-hmm. And that's – we all know the feeling of the empire. Yeah. Like it sets a mood like we talk about. Mm-hmm. So – it was preparing for that, so I think that did a beautiful job. That's that's what I would say. Yeah. Okay. That's a, so. that's a solid answer. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, all right. So, Knox in the box uh, is asking: Do He's got you a double. think environmental storytelling is a crucial element to making dungeon crawls more exciting and memorable? Uh, yes. Flat up, yes. Yes, without a question. Flat yes. up, yes. There's not even any discussion on that. How do you create the same feeling without being so wordy or NPC heavy to avoid an exposition dump? Um, well, that's that's I think where where environmental storytelling shines is that it avoids the exposition dump. Because it's all in the room description and stuff like that. Um, for instance, uh, to give you, you know, to, to, to kind of go back to the last dungeon that, uh, that my players went through, mm-hmm. um, at one point, you know, I'm describing your typical ancient ruins. It was an ancient crypt. They knew this going in. Um, there was this one hallway that they hadn't quite gone down, um, and there was a doorway that was kind of sealed off magically. Um, with just basically push buttons, it required two people to push the button at the same time. Not really a big, you know, thing. It's just a function that you know you'd have to come here through here in doubles. Mm-hmm. Um, they opened this door, which separated the this this chamber from the from the one beyond it, and um, immediately they they notice in my description that I have I have said that there is you know it's clean on the inside, and now the players like Rob specifically kind of lit up, and he was like. Hold on, it's clean. What about like roots or anything like that coming in from the ceiling? I'm like, no, none. Dust on the floor, none. Do I smell acid? Yeah, you know. Somebody else a, actually asked about a, that. There's yeah, a, there's a bit of an acrid smell in the uh, in the air. Little like somebody's got a bottle of vinegar open in the next room. But you can definitely smell it. It's definitely different from out here. We were terrified, and all of a sudden, <laughs> everybody's hackles went up. Now I haven't plot dumped anything nope. that there is a black pudding in the next room nope that is essentially a gigantic carnivorous ball of acid but um you start drawing some conclusions mm-hmm. that every organic piece of matter has been picked clean from the place mm-hmm. even the dust is not on the floor and uh there's an acidic smell in the air yep they knew what to expect they didn't know where it was yep and there was no plot exposition i didn't nope. tell them like, uh, well a black pudding obviously obviously cleaned this place up no I just told them it was clean. It smelled like acid. Yep. 
And there you go. So you actually avoided an exposition dump yeah. by just giving that description. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you want an exposition dump to get the 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 blind man's you know feel, which is the everything that's outside of sight. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to give off the scent of you know sense contact the feel of the air sounds around them yes you know if you can get those off you're 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 giving them everything that they need to be able to close their eyes and see and feel the scene mm-hmm. um so you strengthen those oftentimes to not have exposition and and if you're doing an adequate job of that they will notice a difference when mm-hmm. you're trying to indicate a change yeah so yeah it, it helps with attention I mm-hmm. think is the biggest thing is it it's easy to pull the group's attention back when you start doing those things because someone's going to feel what, what did you just say it's clean right you know it's going to trigger someone's mind and We're, that is going to open that conversation back mm-hmm. up so uh, environmental storytelling can be useful in telling you what happened in a scene like your your uh, gunfight yep yep uh, but how much does it vary from what is happening or what might happen how can you concisely convey the past, present, and future tense of events or motivations in your scene to avoid confusion. Um, I think for the most part, environmental storytelling tells you about what is currently there and what may have happened in some order in the past. Yeah, what what led to it being the way that it is as you're yeah. currently witnessing I it. think anything that is future is, is, is plot and mm-hmm. or player-driven request. I think if someone did some like an investigation or insight or is doing a digital perception at that point, you're making an active push to the future. You're making a you're making assumptions and corrections. So I think that environmental storytelling as a whole is telling you the past and some present. Now it can it can indicate the future definitely though. I would um, agree with you that. You know, if if you walk into a place, well, I mean, like like my my example I just gave. Mm-hmm. You know, you smell acid, and there then the place seems you know clean of you know even dust. Right. Okay. So what future event can we portend is about to happen? It might be back around. You guys started immediately. Are these corridors ten by ten? Right. That spot that I can't quite see, I fire an arrow into it. Okay, it rebounds off the wall. Okay, there's no gelatinous cube there. Yeah, clear gelatinous cube who's who's basically dissolved everything that's been in his body. Right. 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 Exactly. Right. So right. um, you know, but but you immediately had a sense of what future events were going to unfold simply because I described an mm-hmm. acidic smell and yep. a clean floor. Yep. You know, without so, doubt. Um, you can you can definitely it's all about leading your players to a conclusion. Yeah, essentially, you drop evidence in front of them, and you allow them to put those Lego pieces together and build something out of it. Um, it's a little I mean it's a little like playing CSI. You know, it's it's yeah. You've you've got you you just drop evidence and yeah. they can see maybe where that evidence came from. And maybe with that evidence point towards something's going to happen again. Yeah. And I think that uh, one thing that, that kind of triggered in my head is that not all players are equal in the mind's eye. Yeah. And that sometimes you're going to have to do a little bit more than just exposition. Sure. And that's where some of the things that we talk about like music, lighting, the lighting in the room that you're playing in, mm-hmm. you know, which you can get like the chroma stuff if you want to do that or voice accents or voices, um, you know. And things that are physical like putting out a board and giving a a little bit of a display or even adding fog to it by maybe putting some dry ice nearby or something like that. Sometimes that can help those players who are not getting the whole visual image in their mind of what it is, giving them other ways to think about the space or hear the space or feel the space. Um, And I I think that's important and it can also help recapture the group. Everybody's feelings change when – the playboard gets set down in front of them or when a map gets set before them um, or they're hearing about twists and turns and corridors. Um, I think that all of those pieces add to a lot of that environmental storytelling in different ways. I think that it helps not not only those who maybe not – may not be able to get the whole image in their mind because they're not on the same level as you uh, – but also allow the other players to help fill in those gaps when they're when they role play and get their exposition Absolutely. between players. Absolutely. So to wrap back around to the last question, Matt Matt Elf asks, so how do you use weather as an element in your storytelling? Well, Matt, next week's show, 
uh, is player verse environment. Hey. <laughs> so we'll be talking about not only uh, what environment can do for a story, mm-hmm. uh, but how it can affect gameplay and how that can be its own element uh, just like anything else uh, and kind of take the randomness out of things yeah, absolutely. Uh, and add add a level of challenge that people don't think about. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a, a lot we can go over there that's been done and some stuff, some ideas that uh, we, we've been reading about. Mm-hmm. So, um, Kate, we looking at about a minute. Let's roll this thing. All right. Well, you can find us on Twitter at ST underscore Conclave. You can find us also on Instagram at ST underscore Conclave. And on Discord, you can find the link. Uh, we tweet it out pretty regularly now, uh, on uh, especially on Wednesdays, um, to our uh, to our Discord. You can also find it in the description of uh, all of our podcasts on your favorite podcast listening software. We'd love you to join our Discord, just like Knox did, and also join our patronage. Uh, it helps us get these shows done, and we love all of our patrons who support us. We always need more uh, because it helps us get more things done on the show. And you can live chat with us during the show if you're a Patreon c- contributor, uh, So uh, just like Knox did here. Knox says hi, Kate, and hi, Puppers, Aww. just so you know. Oh, and we will be getting a picture of that bow tie soon. I dropped it off. Oh, yeah. Uh, so their intro music is Beyond the Warriors by Gee Frog. Uh, you can find that on geefrogmusic.webly.com. Our outro music is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine, which you're hearing right now. You can find that at freemusicarchive.org. All right, we uh, record our podcast every week at Podcast Detroit. You can find them online at podcastdetroit.com, on Twitter at Podcast Detroit. And a big shout out to our sound engineer, Kate, who is just knocking stuff over right there. That's a 4K uh, camera that just uh, almost hit the ground. And our families, Vicky, Sean, thank you so much. All of our friends who've sat with us at our gaming tables throughout the years. And you, our listeners, we love you. Thank you. And good night. Good night.